Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with none other than Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. My man. How we doing? You, you like how we still do the intros to the camera, even though <laughs> strictly podcast now? Is it really? I mean, yeah, we're strictly Oh, that's right. Podcast. These are just for the clips. Yeah. That's so funny. I forget that this is entirely podcast. So if you're listening to this on your drive into work... <laughs> we got cameras, lights, we're looking at the cameras, we're mugging yeah, for the cameras. Literally. But, yeah. That is so funny. <laughs> well, my beloved podcast audience, it is so good to have you here. I am excited to be on your drive. And because I just spent the last three days with one Peter Diamandis talking about Legend. the future, I am telling you right now, your days of driving are numbered, man. Yeah. You are not going to be driving for long, and that is a beautiful thing. And I, I'm excited to see in what other ways uh, we're going to spend time together whilst you podcast. Yes, me too. So welcome, everyone. This is After Impact, the show where we unpack the impact of this week's episode with Rob Deerdeck. Oh, man. I like this one. Yeah, me too. This is like a really one good one. A lot. Um, Rob is, he's such an interesting person. And the episode really showed me a whole new side of him. It, it felt like... Um, even some ways more than the Gary Vaynerchuk episode where I think we saw a different side of Gary. This mm. was like, this is like the guy behind the guy, you know, yeah. Rob has his, his persona, which is like, I mean, he's real. He's exactly the same way in real life as you would expect him to be, but he has these depths and layers yeah. that came out in the interview, which I loved. Yeah. It, and I had gotten a hint to some of that from drama yeah. And drama's like, dude, I'm telling you, this guy is hard fucking core. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was super amped to get him on the show. He did not disappoint. When you see somebody succeed at that level, though, like, it, at some point, and it's funny, when I met Gary, Gary actually said, yeah, when you hit a certain level of success, it, it, it isn't luck. Yeah. And that's how I felt when I met Rob. It's like, even though... Like his persona is the ridiculousness. It's yeah. the over the top. It's like you have to know there's something going on for him to have had as many successful shows as he has, to have launched as many companies, yeah. to have gone from skateboarder to um, professional entrepreneur. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And repeated success too. That's yeah. what really gives it away. Um, I want to start there actually. So I, I love the juxtaposition of he has this show ridiculousness and then he comes in and there's a good 
five to 10 minutes of the interview where he's just going deep into business principles and mm -hmm. tactics. And so I was really blown away by his business acumen. And I want to know, like beforehand, did you know how deep he could go on that kind of stuff? No, I, at, at best, I had a guess just from looking at the level of success. It's like, okay, clearly he knows something. Also, watching Fantasy Factory, to be honest, you would see occasional glimpses mm -hmm. where he would be showing a business meeting or something and you'd realize, okay, like he actually understands what he's doing. This isn't um, him just mugging for the camera. Yeah. But no, until I started researching him, I'll say that. Until I started researching him, I didn't realize just how polished his thinking was mm -hmm. um so that was really cool yeah and one of the things he says in the episode you know he's obviously someone who has evolved throughout his career and is really interested in progression and he says that progression is the key to happiness mm -hmm. so i know you feel similarly and i want to ask you why do you think that progression is so intoxicating for people so I'll, I'll take this from uh, an evolutionary standpoint. So I think that nature does a, a tremendous job of making pleasurable that which is going to help you make sure that your children survive. Mm. So one of the ways is humans are an active species. We go in, we explore, and ultimately dominate our environment. And so if you want to go from exploring to dominating, like there is... Uh, a need to progress. Also, humans are literally wired from the ground up to be the ultimate adaptation machine. And I think that adaptation, the ability to adapt is nature's um, ultimate card to play for any species. And I think that the reason that we become the most dominant species the planet has ever seen is because we're the most capable of adapting. And to quote Darwin, everybody thinks that he said that it's the strongest of the species that survive. And I was talking to Ray Kurzweil, if you, you obviously yeah, know who yeah. he is, but hopefully people listening do as well. And to hear him quote that, totally unprompted, I didn't say anything about it. And he said, everybody thinks that Darwin said that it's the strongest of the species that survive. He's like, he didn't say it. And in my head, I'm like, this is my jam. Like, I love this. Because what Darwin actually said was, it's not the strongest nor the most intelligent, but rather the most adaptive to change that survive. And... That is so true. And so if you're going, if the like ultimate thing to be able to do as a species is adapt and adapt quickly, you've got to make that really pleasurable. So um, progress is another word for adaptation. It's you're coming into that environment, you're learning something new, you're getting better at it, you're being able to handle more stress. Um, and, and I use stress not in like the psychological stress, but like whatever the stressor of the environment is. It could be the temperature, it could be um, the type of food, the lack of food, the difficulty of the hunt, like whatever the stressor is, you've gotta get better at it. And we have so many adaptive mechanisms from the microbiome to just psychologically how we frame it and think about it, that that has to become intensely pleasurable for people to want to do it. And so, yeah, that at the end of the day, that's why it needs to be pleasurable so that we can really dominate our environment. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and speaking of adaptation, I mean, Rob went through a huge transformation when he was in his early 20s. And the story, I'd never heard that about him, that his sponsor was DC, right? Yeah. Who just said like, yeah, you're kind of done. We'll, you know, uh, give you a little parting severance of two years. You can just hang mm -hmm. out. And then he took those two years and completely changed his approach to life and everything he did. But do you think that there was a bit of um, a bit of darkness in that? No question. He, he yeah. even said it. 
it was like when I brought it up on set, he said it still stings. Mm-hmm. So there is there is something tremendously valuable about pain. And and I started um, talking about this probably about, I don't know, 10 months ago when I went through this phase where I was going to try to shut down the negative voice in my head. And then I realized, wait a second, like the negative voice in my head, like oftentimes is pointing out something very real. And it does it oftentimes in a in a um, where if you let it go unchecked, it becomes self-destructive. But it really is pointing out something that's real, that you're not good enough at something that you don't know enough, that you're overwhelmed, like whatever it is that it's telling you. And then people just let it run wild. And so it becomes a problem. But if instead of letting it run wild or trying to silence it, you go, okay, what's it pointing out? Is it real? Yes, there is an element of reality here. Thank you for that. You've actually gotten rid of my blind spot. Now I can go acquire the skills. And that to me is like the human algorithms, like the number of algorithms that we have that are running, the negative voice being one of them or a part Mm -hmm. of it, however you want to think about it. Like when managed correctly, they really serve a purpose. And I think Rob is a great example of that. He hears that, it stings, it sucks. He realizes like I can leverage this pain to take it seriously, to totally flip the world on its head. And without that pain, he just isn't gonna take it that seriously. He isn't gonna respond so dramatically because at the end of the day, you're responding dramatically like that because you don't wanna feel that pain anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty crazy the lengths to which we will go. Now, what people have to understand is there's really two responses. There's one, the psychological immune system, which is DC's a bunch of idiots, right? To use Rob's scenario. They're a bunch of idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, you know, I, the best years of my life are ahead of me. I'm making their best shoes. Like, who are they to think they can talk to me like this? That's what most people do. The flip side is what he actually did, which is set all that bullshit aside, realize that they're actually right, that you've been lazy, that you haven't kept your skating on point, that the skating is the thing from which everything else is born. You need to double, triple, quintuple down on being the best skater that you can be. And then going from a position of strength, you're able to build on top of that. So I think he really sat in that pain for a minute, looked at it, leveraged it, and then goes on to have the kind of success that he does. And he says that he started by hiring a hypnotherapist. Yes. Did that shock you? A hundred percent. Yeah. Tell me about that. So... I think that hypnotism is real. I've had a long-standing fascination with it. Have um, you ever for, done it? I, I've tried self-hypnosis. Okay. So I've never been to a hypnotherapist. And I'll tell you why. It's the one thing that scares me a little, and I think rightly so. Humans are, on average, scarily susceptible to um, false memories and things like that. And so I thought, man, like even if a hypnotherapist has good intentions, like could they accidentally slip something in that has an echo in my mind that ends up not being very positive? Like for instance, getting rid of the negative voice. On its surface, it seems like a good idea, but is it actually? And so I started reading it and there's a guy named Milton Erickson who's considered the godfather, I think, of modern um, hypnosis. And I found it really interesting. And he talked about self-hypnosis. And I thought, well, if there's anybody that I can trust to really put thought behind like what I need. So I recorded myself doing like this whole hypnotherapy thing where I was like walking myself through the beliefs that I wanted to have. And I would play that as I was like falling asleep. And he outlines that in the book. If I remember correctly, I'm almost certain that's where I got it. It could have been a hodgepodge of things I was reading about on the internet, Milton Erickson. And so this was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And I hated the sound of my own voice (laughs) so much 
that I found it so distracting yeah. that I couldn't like get into it. And I had fantasies of like, oh, I should go get somebody to record this. But but I really did write like scripts about things mm. that I wanted reinforced in my mind. Um, so I think that it is very powerful. Um, I think it's also dangerous enough that I haven't gone to somebody other than myself for it. Um, but you don't hear a lot of people talk about it. So mm-hmm. I was very surprised when he said it. But his rationale behind it is is pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, he says belief is the only thing that matters. And he goes off on a, an amazing little uh, clip there. I think it's clip worthy. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask, what matters to you more, belief or execution? If only this was on camera <laughs> so people could see the way that you took a drink, like all smug and shit. Uh, that was amazing. So belief in what? Belief or execution. That's um, hence the, the, uh, the mug. Uh, yeah, that's why I did that. Nice. I'm, I'm drinking out of a mug that says only execution matters. There we go. Yep. It, all, it all comes together. Um, the reality is humans lead with belief. So you're never going to get to execution unless mm. you get belief first. But it's one of those where you can have all the belief in the world, but if you can't execute, it's not going to go anywhere. So you, it, it, you need both. But because belief comes first, that's probably the one that I harp on more. Um, I think that people really need to focus on that. And also that one is really um, a, just a, it's a binary choice. You choose to believe and not choose to believe that you're great. All you have to do is choose to believe that humans are the ultimate adaptation machine that we are literally wired to learn. And thusly your efforts to learn will be rewarded. Now you may learn slow, slower than other people. Um, you may think of yourself as dumb and quite frankly, you may actually be dumb, um, and by that, I mean, you may process raw data more slowly. Mm-hmm. You may be undereducated. Um, you put those two things together and like, sure. Like I, I really think that from just a, a cold start perspective, I used to refer to myself as dumb. And I don't mean that in a way that's meant to hurt me or wound me. It's merely like I think of my, um, my physique. So I'm just primed to store fat. So take that as sort of the mental equivalent of starting behind the eight ball. And so, okay, cool. I started dumb. What does that matter? Maybe it's going to be harder for me. Maybe I'm going to have to spend more time on it. Like I can whine about that or I can just do something about it. Um, so deciding to believe that I could get better was, was the beginning of a real mental transformation where I was able to pull myself out of being undereducated and actually speed up the way that I learned by putting habits and tools and tricks and things into mm-hmm. just knowing how I assimilate information. Like for me, not trying to read a physical book, but instead listen because I just learn faster that way and I could speed it up and then I could get more books and on and on. Nice. Um, Rob says that entrepreneurship today is idea driven, but the battle is won or lost in operations and the unit economics behind the idea when I was watching the episode today, you smiled sort of knowingly when Rob said this. So can you tell us why? Yeah, I mean, that's only execution matters, right? So at the end of the day, if you don't learn how to operate, and one of the things that hides behind um, everything that I put out in my social content, and hopefully you of all people have noticed this, is I've really, I fear becoming that guy who puts out like quotes on an image and it makes you feel something and uh, it's spiritual entertainment, right? And for like 30 seconds, you're like, wow, that was such an empowering idea. And then it just sort of wears off. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to like, I want to be the greatest in the world at this, that when you, you can get the spiritual entertainment from the photo and the quote on it. But if you actually read what I'm writing, that that shit is for real, dude. 
And for anybody out there, if you don't already have an Alexa, like get one, I'm really pouring myself into that content. Mm -hmm. I've been able to justify that for a couple of reasons. One, I think that it could actually be meaningful to people. And then two, I think it's the lead domino for a lot of the content that we create. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really trying to say, okay, hey, here's this high level belief. It's trite. You've heard it a thousand times. It, it is um, the same bullshit you're going to see on a thousand other Instagram accounts. But now let me give you the no bullshit reality of having built businesses, having gone through a massive transformation myself, pushing every day to build another business. Like this is the reality of the operations of this cool thought. Now it's become a cool thought. It's become trite. It's become something you've heard a thousand times because it's real. Yeah. But nobody's talking about how to execute against it. And so I uniquely want to own that space of like, here's how we go beyond just spiritual entertainment. Really read this stuff. And I was so encouraged. And I know I've already talked about this, but I wrote this really long thing. It was like the seven bullet points or something to how to like deliver. Because um, the, the thing on the image was don't try to be all things to all people. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, as a marketer, you've heard this a thousand times, but let's really talk about why this is so true because it is so fucking fundamental. And so I went and broke it down just like why that's the case and how you avoid it. And I, it was long as shit. And so at the bottom I said, cause I wanna know, like if people are reading this, I said, just put a wink, hit me up with a wink in the comments if you actually read this far. And I thought I'm gonna see four or five winks and it was 85% easily. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, like people are actually reading this. That makes me feel good. And is one of the reasons that like, I really believe in what we're doing here from like a movement perspective, dude. And people at uh, Abundance this week, weekend, I had a bunch of people come up, you changed my life, like, that's thank awesome. you so much, I'm doing this because of that. And it's like, that's never gonna happen off a quote card, that's gonna happen off of the execution. So hearing Rob talk about that, it's like, the one consistent message you will hear from any successful entrepreneur, they're just gonna know, it wasn't the idea. It, it, is, it is the ability to get that idea to fruition. That's awesome. So much of the episode is about getting clarity. And Rob says that you need to look in your life, look at your life in totality and design what you want the whole picture to look like and then evaluate every single opportunity against that. So what are some of your thoughts and ideas around getting clarity? Well, I mean, so before the camera started rolling, you and I were talking about this. So, so far, honestly, I consider my January just an abysmal failure. And I have been really busy and I don't feel like I've gotten out of it what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so... But you're only going to know that if you're constantly evaluating it and asking yourself, am I actually moving towards my goal? Yes or no. And being able to discern um, something that sounds good on paper or is exciting on paper and actually like moves you towards your stated goals um, it is a world of difference. And what really pisses me off about January is this is all remnants of 2017 being the year of yes. Yeah. And so most of the things that have been eating up my time in January were promises that I made back in 2017 when I was thinking in a different fashion. Um, and towards the end of 2017, I began to think, okay, I need to change something. Like I've, I've got a lot of momentum going now and now we need to leverage that momentum to be going in exactly one direction. And so January is, is so far proven to be like the nightmare of nightmares, which is all the momentum in the world and not going exactly where I want to be going. So if you're not taking the time to ruthlessly get that clarity to figure out what precisely do I want? 
articulate it, say it to other people, create spreadsheets. I mean, this is something you, Lisa, and I have been working on, which is what exactly is 2018? What does it have to add up to? What are the metrics that we can put in place? And are we executing against that? And if like, if last January had been like this January, I'd be clapping and celebrating and being like, oh my God, look at all this amazing shit that we're doing. This is incredible. And anybody from the outside would be like, dude, your January has been amazing. Like, like from a social feed perspective, my January has been fucking awesome. Yeah. But once you get beyond the highlight reel of it all and go, I have a mission. My mission is to pull people out of the matrix. Have I actually been executing against the creation of the studio, which is the only thing that I currently believe is going to pull people out at scale? And the answer is either yes or no. But you're never going to get there until you can break everything down. Like if you can't put that shit in a spreadsheet, if you can't pitch it in an elevator pitch, it's not real. It's a feeling. And so because as a company, we have that level of clarity, I'm grateful for the frustration because the frustration is born of going, I know exactly what we're trying to do. I know exactly what we have to be hitting. I know what the metrics are. And so either we're doing it or we're not. And it was so funny because I was saying to Chase, I'm lamenting now to anybody who will listen because this is a part of my process to make sure we don't stay here. Um, and Chase was like, but wait, you know, we crushed this metric and we crushed that. And it's like, you've got to be really careful not to like let um, the most minor of metrics soothe like the bigger ones. There's a reason that priorities are in order. Yep, definitely. Um, do you think there's ever an end point to clarity or is it always an evolving process where you're, you're getting clarity and then you're getting deeper clarity as you go and more deeper? Now this is becoming like you and I just talking about the business, so let's really go in because okay. here's, uh, and for anybody that, that wants uh, a glimpse inside how a business is run or more specifically how this business is run, um, that's really important. And we're about to present to the team like exactly what 2018 has to be. But I know six weeks from now, it's going to have evolved. Yep. And then six weeks after that, it will have evolved again. But to not take the time to come up with deep clarity is, is suicidal. So no, there's no end. There is never a finish line. There is nothing. And you can write it in stone if you want, but you're just going to have to re-chisel it again into a new stone. Yeah. So, but it it shouldn't swing wildly. And that's where people get themselves in trouble. It's evolving, but it should be very like, like evolution, right? If you look along that spectrum, each like little step should be insanely recognizable from the one on either side of it. Mm -hmm. But then as you look back maybe a year, you know, the ends of that spectrum, that may be totally unrecognizable. But if you're constantly doing these big swings, you're never gonna be able to go anywhere specific. That's a great analogy and I totally agree. Um, it's a process and you'll be heading in the same direction, but you're going to be making slight adjustments as you go. Mm. Um, so Rob says that he doesn't know if you can reach self-awareness if you're not already looking to evolve and grow, if that's not already part of your sort of personality. Would, would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I mean, that that's sort of like the belief has to come first kind of thing. Like you've mm. got to be willing to do the work. I think that self-awareness itself is a process. And I think you can go from not having much self-awareness to gaining self-awareness. But if you're not even asking the question, then you're never like you're, as they say, you could put a monkey in front of a keyboard and in an infinite number of uh, instances, eventually it will write Shakespeare. But the odds of you putting a uh, typewriter in front of a monkey and getting Shakespeare is zero. Right. So you're not going to stumble upon self-awareness. I think that it, 
it's got to be something that you decide, okay, I, I want to figure this out. Something's holding me back. You read about it somewhere and it seems like something you want to develop and then you can sit down to develop it. But you've got to make that decision first. Nice. I want to read a couple of comments from people on YouTube. This episode has already received a ton of comments. Yeah. Really positive ones. Um, sparking, I think, a lot of sort of um, interesting thoughts and conversation in the comments. So if, you're, if you want to partake in that, please go to YouTube and check it out. Um, these ones I think you could maybe respond to. I think there's even maybe a question for you in one of these, but let's start with Clayton Banfield. He says, Rob is amazing. Clarity is something that I'm lacking working on a new slash old business. It's something I've done before, but I'm entering the industry after a decade hiatus. Everything has changed since then. I can see the opportunity, but the confusion has set in on what to do in a logical order. Have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, this, this is one of those, I should really sit down and, and try to make this um, like systematic because the honest answer is that's, that's the money, right? So the money isn't identifying the goal. The money isn't identifying where you're at. The goal or the money is figuring out exactly what steps you have to take in order to get there. Mm -hmm. And that's something, Rob actually alluded to it in the episode, and I, I don't know if um, it made your list of things to talk about, but he said, like, you'll have a gut instinct that something is off. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is the most perfect description. And then an entrepreneur, whether you own the company or not, an entrepreneur to me is the person that follows up with, why do I feel that something is wrong? Really work through it and not just be like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, that's for somebody else to figure out. Like, you really go, huh, there's something off here. There's something not adding up. Like, mm -hmm. I, now I need to really go inside. Like, that feeling is a gift, and to squander it is really opportunity lost. And so, over time, I've gotten good at being able to figure out, one, to recognize really fast that feeling. Ooh, something's not right. And then being able to dive deeply into it enough. And it's usually those feelings that I thinkitate on. Where I'm like, oh, I've got a sense that something's not right here. I don't know what it is yet. So I'm going to thinkitate on it and just let my subconscious basically chew on that problem. And then, okay, ah, now I have some insight or whatever that bubbles up into my conscious mind. And okay, I've got the beginnings of clarity on that. But that really is getting good at that process of identifying why something feels off and exactly what you need to do about it. That's what separates the people who win from the people that lose, man. Yeah. So if I could really sit down and systematize what I'm doing like that, that's money. All right. Well, we'll be looking for that in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth pushing me on. Here's a comment from Dr. Jack Callaghan. Um, I have a question about clarity. If anyone, including Tom, can answer, please. Should I spend more time with my family? I'm an introvert and am so happy being on my own and getting things done but my parents say I'm the only bad thing in our house and I'm the problem because I don't spend enough time with them. I responded to this. Did you? Yeah, do you ha are you in? No, I actually copied and pasted Be this, interesting but... to see if, um, if I give the same answer. So my thing was there's no moral obligation to spend time with your family or not spend time with your family. So that's the, like, what do you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want a great relationship with your family, then inevitably you're going to have to invest the time to make that an important relationship. But if it's true that his family is actually saying something like, you're the worst thing in the family, like that is so toxic. So that would have to be dealt with first and foremost. Now, are they like those delusional, crazy people that you see represented in movies that I literally can't believe exist that would actually say something like that? Um, then God, like, 
having a relationship with somebody who thinks like that and would say something like that, like that's, that's tough. And mm -hmm. the honest answer is I probably would just not spend time with them. Um, but assuming that that's maybe how they make him feel and not necessarily what they're actually saying, then it's like, you have to have a principal style conversation where you really talk about like, this is how you're making me feel. You make me feel like I'm the worst thing that happened to this family. And I want to process through that and really understand where your thinking is, um, I want to explore and figure out why I'm feeling this way. And, and until you can get past that, I don't think you can really have a relationship. And I think that talking really honestly is ultimately the solution to all of this 100%, assuming that they're not like deeply broken human beings, which his retelling makes it sound like they are. <laughs> okay. And I did see that you have a response here. For some reason, I didn't see it earlier today, but... Um... All right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, so Rob says that I really liked his idea. He says that you you build like consistency is how you build trust with people. Mm. Um, like being representing your values day in and day out to people is how they feel um, trust around you. And I really like this idea, but it, it made me think about like in this state of constant progression, how do you achieve trust if you're always evolving? Well like we were talking about before with um, adjusting and clarity, it's like, yeah, you may be constantly evolving, but chances are that, you know, each, each of those bits of um, evolving are pretty recognizable from the other. And in fact, we've gone through something like this here that actually caused for you, um, like what felt at first, like a potential glaring break in the direction of my belief system. And one, I was just super stoked that you asked about it, which was when I started getting like fiendish about principles and saying, hey, we're going to bring this in. I had made a big presentation to everybody that decided to come to Impact Theory. And I said, let me be very clear that this is a benevolent dictatorship that at the end of the day, I want everyone's ideas. But if we ever come to the point where we can't convince each other, then it will be my idea that we go with every single time. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, if you can get behind that, then this can possibly work. But if you're looking for a democracy, this isn't it. Um, and then when I introduced principles and the meritocracy, when you first describe it, oftentimes sounds like a democracy. Mm -hmm, but it, And mm -hmm. so you said, like, hey, this seems like you're really breaking with that. Is that true? And the answer was no, a meritocracy is not a democracy. At the end of the day, somebody has to be in charge of making that decision. That's mm -hmm. me. Um, but it really makes systematic the fact that I want to hear everyone's voice mm -hmm. and that when my idea isn't the right idea, we shouldn't be going with it. But that requires that we hear it, we understand what the ideas are, and that the person with the most believability in that arena um, is recognized as having believability, that their idea is thrown out. And then as um, Ray talks about the, the responsible party, the person who's ultimately going to bear the brunt of the failure has to make the decision. And if they go against the consensus of the people with the most believability, then it's like that rests on your shoulders. Now, I know that if I'm routinely going against the people with the most believability in their area of believability and I'm wrong, then I will lose credibility with the group, will disband whether I want to or not because people just start leaving because they realize, Jesus, this is a sinking ship. So it's like, but at the end of the day, like, you have to have somebody who's ultimately in charge of that. Now, I think you see in practice that it's like, one, I want people when it is their area of expertise, when it is their department, um, unless I just have real reason to believe that like, whoa, if we do that, it's going to be a catastrophic error. 
I recognize that my ideas are not always the right ones, even when they feel like that to me. And that believability is the key mm -hmm. to a meritocracy. But that's one example. And the other thing I like about that is it gives people a real sense of ownership of their specific duties and responsibilities within the company that they have autonomy to make those choices if they're the responsible party. Yep. And also, if you're going to have ownership, then you need to be willing to suffer the consequences, right? Or reap the rewards of your, your decision. So. And right now, you have your finger on the thing about life, life, Jared, that I love the most, which is when you get good at something, that there's real consequence towards executing against it, that you can move the company forward, um, get the glory for smashing it in your position. Like being willing, and, and this has been summed up with what I'm sure is an old phrase, but where I heard it the first time was in the West Wing, uh, when the president says, you've got to want the ball. And he tells this story about when he played on the basketball team in his high school. And that was so perfect for me because I was so bad at, at basketball in high school. And, but the, my freshman year I played and I didn't want the ball and I didn't want the ball because I would embarrass myself like invariably. And that was my solution to not want the ball rather than to go get good so that I could do something effective with the ball. Yeah. And so that to me is, is life, man. You've got to get good and then want the ball. And when you're in like the traditional work environment does not inspire people nor reward them for wanting the ball. That's true. And that to me is crazy and one of the most heartbreaking things about modern American society for sure. And it may be worldwide, I have no idea, but certainly here in the US, like they're in most organizations, why the fuck would you want the ball? Keep your head down, do as little work as possible and avoid punishment at all costs. Like I get why people end up there. I get why I started there. It actually makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. but that's such a tragedy. And the companies that are going to do the best would never do that. You're just never going to attract high caliber talent. Right. Okay. Um, Rob says that he systematizes his life um, in such a way. He talks a lot about systems in this episode and that gives him the freedom to play and experiment within that structure. And I wanted to ask you, is that similar to how you think about routine? It's interesting. I wouldn't have tied it to routine, um, but what I will tie it to is limitations. So dogs are their most aggressive when they're on a leash. You ever notice that? Mm -hmm. I've always found that really fascinating. And I feel the same. I think people are like that. When Because I know that I'm surrounded by a team of really shrewd, really sharp, hardworking people, I can be more bold because I know that you guys will keep me in check, right? So I know that if I like sign us up for something crazy that Lisa will be able to execute against it. I know that if I um, start saying yes to too many things, you'll be like, alarm bell city, motherfucker. Like, we cannot keep spreading ourselves too thin. And so because I have that, I feel empowered to be bold and then see like if the team goes, you're crazy or no, we can actually get behind this. And without that, I would be much more cautious because because inevitably I would have screwed myself over so many times. So that, that is really interesting. So when you have that framework and that framework is meant to protect you from your own limitations, from the things you're not good at, that yeah, you're freed up to play, to experiment, to be bold, to try things because you've got those guardrails. Mm, very interesting. I was also really blown away by the story about how he took a really data-driven approach to his life at mm -hmm. one point to figure out what are the things that are sucking energy out of his life. And I just wanted to get 
again, your thoughts on that and what was your reaction in the interview? Yeah, I think that's on the money and going back to self-assessing, like I know right now the realization that I've had in sort of the first two and a half weeks of January, most people like 10 years ago by and they'll have that unease, but they'll never really stop and look at it. And I think that that is, is so critical to really be um, looking at like whether or not you're getting the things that you want. Give me the actual words of your question again. Um, it was, so he was talking about how he had to identify the things that were sucking energy. Yeah. Out of his life. So like, if you're not assessing those things that are, um, giving you unease, draining you of energy and making changes, like it, it is terrifying how much of your life you can lose from that. And I think that for most people, their job is sucking energy away. Um, relationships may be sucking their energy away. And they don't go in and assess, and they certainly don't take it to the extreme that Rob was, which was coming up with quantitative data based on qualitative experience. And what I love about that is most people just go, well, it's qualitative. Like, how can I? But he just assigned it a fucking number system. And I remember, like, Lisa and I battled over this, and I could not understand, like, what her resistance was when she was really at the height of struggling with her stomach. I said, you need to give it a category and a number. What type of pain is it? And what's the extreme so that we can begin to assess like what what is causing what kind of reaction yeah, start to plot it right but yeah. she was like so lost in that it was qualitative that there was no objective standard and I'm like I get it but like until you can come up with some even relatively consistent number meaning that it may not objectively mean anything but relatively to itself like there's some right. standard that we can start to figure out. And so seeing him do that and he, if, if nothing else, it's just forcing him to focus on, I'm not feeling energized or amped today. What's the fucking problem? Oh, it's this company. I'm going to shed that company from my life, even if it means that I'm going to lose money or whatever. But if you don't find a way to make that quantitative so that you can track it, now you're just hoping that you're gonna remember, like seeing those things plotted out, even though it's purely subjective, it's gonna make you ask the right questions. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. I, I love that story in the, in the episode. Um, lastly, I wanna talk about, I just feel like there's this theme running through our content right now that's around clarity, and whether it's talking about Ray Dalio's principles, mm. uh, Ryan Holiday last week talking about getting clear on what your ideal day is and building your life toward that, and then Rob, of course, talking very eloquently about it. I mean, it's funny that it's, it's kind of happening right now because I feel like we're sort of going through this transformation at the same time. And I think it's super critical. And I think that the, the reason that we'll be able or anyone would be able to execute against their vision is that they're able to make it just absurdly specific. Because at the end of it, like, think about every single minute, every single second of your day, you're doing something. And where I, and I just recorded Alexa content around this, oftentimes the something people are doing is trying to figure out what to do. So, but if you like, think about letting your mind wander, think about how many different places it goes. So you start with trying to think about what should I do next? But then it's like, oh shit, I forgot to get that grocery or I need to check that email or ah, uh, right? It's like all this random shit. Your wall just throws a random wall of stuff at you. And all of a sudden you realize like 17 minutes has gone by to be crazy conservative. Yeah. 
But now, not only have you lost 17 minutes, which is more likely to be 45 minutes or an hour and 10, it's like that study they've done where it's like it takes you something like 20 minutes to re-get back in the groove every time mm -hmm. somebody interrupts you and that people are interrupted every 11 minutes. So mm -hmm. do the math. It's like it's you never get back in the groove, here, right? Yeah. So people are so inefficient with how they spend their time that once you realize like you've really got to map this shit out. Like you've got to know exactly, this is my important things list. You've got to know exactly what you should be doing the second you have a moment of downtime so that you never waste time in between gears. You never waste time trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing next. And that's why I'm so like fiendish about what's on my calendar. It's why I don't check email. All of it is the important things are the things that I should be doing. And so having that list in order, going through it, scheduling time specifically to go look at my list, to go, so even looking at the important thing list isn't something I have to think about. It's on my yeah. fucking schedule. Yeah. So it's like, that is, is super crucial. And right now, again, something we were talking about before the camera started rolling, I, I'm sleeping a lot right now and it's really freaking me out because it's bumping me out of my normal routine. And I realize like how much I rely on that routine of workout, meditate, thinkitate, read, important things. Like it, it dawned on me, because I've heard people say this a lot, make your bed first thing in the morning, which is the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. But the reason they say it is it gives you this sense of accomplishment mm -hmm. and it gives you this momentum to want to do more things that give you a sense of accomplishment. And I realized my morning routine does that. Mm -hmm. And it sets me up like working out, sense of accomplishment, meditating, sense of accomplishment, think it takes, same thing, read, same thing. Like it gives me this like, I just feel like a juggernaut of momentum of getting the right things done. And when I wake up late and that gets thrown off, uh like it's super gnarly. So anyway, to bring it all back around to what you asked, like you've really got to be executing against something at all times, super specifically, spending your day in a way that's ultra productive. But if you're not like mapping that stuff out, if you don't have massive amounts of clarity around what that is and what you're going to be doing, then you lose some absurd. I'm going to say it's north of 40% of your time is what I'll call waffle time. It's like, Eh, a little conversation here, there, thinking, going to the next email, checking Facebook. It's like, holy shit. Like, it's crazy. It's that slow bleed. Yup. Can I tell you what I do? Um, I think it sounds similar to what you do. Um, I don't think we've ever talked about it in this detail, but, and I don't do this every day, but on my best days, the day before, so if, so if today's Wednesday, we're recording, um, at the end of the day, I will go through my list of my Asana task list. And I will look at what I have scheduled for tomorrow on that list or shift things around depending on what's important and needed. And then I'll look at my schedule for tomorrow, see where the meetings are. And then I will schedule out blocks of time for each of those things that's on the list mm. in order of importance and estimate like, okay, this is going to take me an hour. This is going to take me an hour and a half. This is going to only take me 30 minutes and have my full day just completely blocked out. And then if I can do that, usually when I come in, I can hit all those things mm. if I've estimated my time correctly. Those are only on my best days. I won't say I'm <laughs> able to do that every day because sometimes, you know, things are crazy around yeah. here. But um, love that. Okay, last question. Where do you think Rob is going next? What do you think he's going to do? Man, I'll, well, so I know where he's going now. He's got a new show on MTV. I think that he's going to crush it again. Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, amazingness, almost certainly. Yep. Um, Awesomeness, amazingness. I thought he said amazingness. I think it's on the amazingness. Episode. Yeah. Um, so 
I think he's going to crush that. He's got that formula down. He really knows what's up. What'll be really interesting to see is where he goes after that. Like how much investment does he continue to put into his media platform? But that guy's got such a level of clarity, such a level of drive. And most importantly, he loves what he's doing. And that's the thing. Like people ask me this question a lot as well. They think that what I love doing is being on camera or going and giving talks. It's not. What I love is solving business problems. What I love is pulling people out of the matrix. And it just so happens that one of the ways to execute against that is going and giving talks and being on camera. But like if those disappeared and I was doing a different path because I thought that it was more effective, I would have no problem with that. Um, in fact, it may cause less anxiety, like doing, like having to travel to give speeches, getting up in front of 2000 people. Like these are not like relaxing tasks. So it might even be better. But when you know, like, these are the things that give me energy. These are the things that I love. That's when I think people are really successful. And he really loves that shit. And so I think that because he loves solving business problems so much, I think you'll continue to see him crush that because he understands brands so much. I think you'll continue to see him associated with brands that go on to do pretty amazing things. Do you ever think he'll get into sort of the personal development space and do a little bit of speaking? It's interesting. He didn't, he didn't seem to care about it at all like he said i rarely do talks like this and give interviews and he's like i say no to this stuff all the time so i don't know i'd be a little surprised if he made that move because he said what he really enjoys is the business problem side of it mm -hmm. um so i would be shocked if he did that okay he'd be great at it yeah but i think i don't think he would do it all right. Well, that wraps us up for After Impact today. All right. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm aiming this back at the camera again, <laughs> even though we will never use that. Nope. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. If this is adding any value to your life, please do share it. That would be amazing. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.